I feel amazing. Hello, angels. Hi, everyone. Oh my god. Wow. We get to crawl out of hell <laughs> and talk about nice things today because this is the first episode of I'm Thrilled. I'm Thrilled. I'm Thrilled. No, we're not going to do, we're not really changing the brand around that much. But, <laughs> this um, is the first and potentially only episode of our spinoff podcast. Of our spinoff podcast that we've long talked about the lore <laughs> of, of when we're in a particularly bad mood talking to you guys about terrible things. We're like, wow, we should talk about sunshine and daffodils. Yes. Um, and we'll call it I'm Thrilled. And, <laughs> and bitch, here we are. Today's the day. Sam, why are we doing this? You guys, we've been sitting in Allie's bedroom in an outdoor patio chair recording this podcast. <laughs> That's true. These are patio chairs. For a full year. For a full year. You guys, a year of this. A year ago, I was working at a horrible job with a horrible, cruel boss and I was miserable, and I texted you, and mm-hmm. I said, I bought a microphone on Amazon, we're doing it. And yes. you said, awesome. <laughs> and I I couldn't be happier. Me neither. We're here, and... We're, th- we're frankly thrilled. We <laughs> This is the thing, is that we are thrilled. Like, we have so many of you. More of you than I ever thought. Oh, yeah. I thought this would be, like, our four friends, maybe, who live in L.A. We would basically be making this for our two moms. Yeah. Um, and our moms still do listen. Hi, mom. Our boyfriend's moms listen. Hi, boyfriend's mom. Hi, boyfriend's moms. Um, but, you know, we didn't realize how many of you guys would be with us a year from then. Yeah. And, and we're just, we're fucking so grateful. So. So because of that, we're going to ostracize you by not bringing you the content you like. Exactly. <laughs> we thought this has been going so well. Let's change it fundamentally. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to talk about, um, I mean, if somebody says to me, what brings you joy, I'm going to say dogs. Yeah, So today I'm going to talk about dogs. Nice. Sam, what are you going to talk about? What makes you thrilled? Today I'm going to do a hot take on romance novels. Romance novels, something that confuses me about whether or not it's on I'm Thrilled or Mortified. (laughs) But you will help us through that journey. Yeah, I really will. So, oh, I'm in a good mood already. I know. First, I want to hear about little puppies. I want to talk about dogs. Yay. Should I do my dog segment in the voice I use to talk to my own dog, do you (laughs) think? The full 15-minute segment. Because that's like listening to two people who are in love talk to each other or listening to, like, a fully grown person play with a child. Like, it's fully unlistenable if you're not a dog. This episode's all about ostracizing our listeners, (laughs) It's true. You guys can get fucked (laughs) on our one-year anniversary that we're thanking you on. But yeah, no, that, that sound that you make, like, where I'm like, oh, hi, mom, like, how are you? Like, hi, dad. And then I walk in the door a little further, and there's my dog, Baxter, and I'm like, he's your boy! <laughs> Which is something that I say pretty much 17 times a day when I'm there. <laughs> so, last episode, I discussed why I'm so-so on cats. Yeah. So again, I thought this episode, I would counter that with a segment about my favorite thing in the whole world, dogs. Um, and I want to start this on a little bit of a, of a somber note. When I was small, I was very scared of dogs. Mm. When I was around eight years old or so, I was walking down the beach at my grandma's house, and I was attacked by a dog. You know this. Yes. We've lived together for so long. Yeah. And, you know, I had accidentally walked onto that dog's beach, which, my bad. <laughs> um, you know. That dog owns um, Southampton. Right. But I was bitten by a dog, and it was ver- I was very scared of them from, from then on. And I've always remembered that, because I don't really like it when somebody has an animal and they don't restrain that animal near a new person. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you know, he's friendly. I'm always like, you know, you don't know who's had what experience. You don't yeah. know if somebody's scared. Like, even with my tiny dog, like, I always hold on to him if there's, like, a kid walking by. You never know what's going to freak somebody out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so when I was little, I was really scared. And that kind of thing would happen to me. I'd go to a friend's house, and they're like, oh, he's friendly. And I would just freak out. And I never really liked being around dogs because I was so anxious. And then that all changed for me. <gasps> And you were, you were there close by when it did. I was. Um, I think I was 20 or 21. I was in college. My older brother was also in college. And my parents were obviously devastated that their two angels were not, you know, living with them anymore. I, yeah. I feel comfortable speaking for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we encouraged them, my mom specifically, that they should get a dog. And, you know, that's how Baxter. <laughs> Sweet Baxter. Sweet Bax entered our lives. Um, and I'll talk more about him later, because I just, I'll melt. Love him. Oh, he sucks, but I love him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and ever since I got a dog, you know, we got him when he was a little puppy. So ever since we had this puppy, I have seen a little puppy face and soul in every dog I've ever met. Oh. And every dog I have met in my life. 
has been, without dramatization, a very good boy. Ugh. And this is what I share with you today. Yeah. Um, I feel like Linus in uh, the Christmas peanut special, <laughs> like, and I say unto you. <laughs> They're good boys. So that's what I think, that's why I'm bringing this to you on I'm Thrilled. So, um, little little historical context. Yeah, tell me about Humanity's dogs. love of dogs dates back thousands of years to when nomadic hunters befriended and ultimately domesticated wolves. Yes. Um, I'll quote a science article from Insider. Quote, we don't actually know why humans and wolves got together in the first place, but once that relationship was established, humans were selecting, very rapidly, for the most sociable wolves, the ones who responded to humans in this characteristically dog-like way, Mm. said Dr. James Serple, director of the Center of Interactions of Animals and Society. Wow, that sounds great. (laughs) At the University of Pennsylvania. Um, This was obviously something that humans valued from the Mm get-go, and how. So that's... All the historical context I'm going to give you. Wow. Um, but let's start getting listicle with this. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to give you eight reasons why dogs are amazing and wonderful. <laughs> um, this is hard because it's like, I almost wish you had to convince me, but I also love dogs. We're not fighting anything no, today. This is, I'm thrilled. thrilled. You're right, you're right. We're not. I'm used to, I'm horrified where I got to fight somebody. And we're tense and we're angry at each yeah. other. And we're going back and forth. Absolutely. I feel amazing right now. Yes. So number one, dogs match our sociable instincts instinctively. Oh. So dogs and humans are both sociable by nature, and dogs that hung out with humans tended to be even more sociable, like I said. And they thrive from this interaction, and relationships between dogs and humans are mutually beneficial for temperament for that reason. So, like, feelings of comfort and security increase when humans and dogs are around each other. It's a symbiotic relationship. Oh, that's good! And furthermore, their high propensity for hypersociability and joy upon seeing us has been linked to part of their genetic makeup. Like, there's a genetic kind of... I think it's it's considered a developmental disorder in humans that makes some people, like, more outgoing and trusting of mm-hmm. other people rather than more kind of withdrawn. And they've noticed similar genetic consistencies between that disorder and, and dogs. Wow. So it, it might be in their genetic makeup, which is why they're just... It, you know, it's science. They're just so happy to be here. So number two... Dogs understand what we're saying to them. Do they? In a study done to examine dogs' understanding of human speech, dogs' brains lit up when their people spoke to them with praise. So, like, their, so they know their areas of, like, dopamine and stuff, like, when you were, you were like, you're a good boy, their brains would, like, light up on the scans. Aww. So, like, they know when we're telling them we love them, and they fucking love it. Oh. They hear us. Oh, Sam! I'm going to see my dog this weekend, and I'm thrilled. <laughs> oh! Okay, number three. Dogs fall in love with us by staring into our eyes. (laughs) (laughs) This is science. So I'm going to quote this insider article once again, which I'll link to because this is basically a listicle that they made that I'm now stealing. Um, So, quote, mutual gazing, also known as eye contact, bonds dogs and humans just like it bonds people and their non-fur children. Sam's actually crying. I'm emotional <laughs> about this. This is really nice. A study conducted at um, Azabu University in um, Japan found that when people lock eyes with their dogs, the process generates oxytocin, which is also known as the love hormone. So, like, oh. when you look into their little fucking eyes, <laughs> it, like, releases hormones that make you love them. Um, and the researchers, so... It releases hormones in the dogs, but they also analyze the urinary oxytocin levels in 30 dog owners after they interacted with their pets for half an hour, and their oxytocin levels went up as well. Oh, so the humans are happier too. Cool, I'm crying. Uh, number five, I love this one. Dogs can get jealous sometimes, just like I can. Whoa. An article from Live Science stated, quote, a 2008 study published in the Journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Science found that when dogs saw other dogs getting treats for a trick they'd been performing, unrewarded, the unrewarded dogs became agitated, <laughs> scratching themselves, and avoiding the gaze of the rewarded dogs. <laughs> Which, if that's not a fucking mood, it just makes me feel closer to them. Uh, and it also says they also stopped doing the trick much faster than if they were alone and not getting reward. Oh. So if they see that somebody else is getting some and they're not, they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I, that's exactly how I would respond to that. Absolutely. And I never felt closer to my dog. Number six, dogs help keep us safe. Yeah. So every time I see a therapy dog, I want to scream <laughs> and weep about how great they are. Yeah. Like they're helping their person stay safe. And it is so pure and good. 
And so dogs can be trained to help people who are differently abled physically, like someone who's blind or injured in some way, but they can also help people with diseases like diabetes, like something that's something I never thought of a dog being able to help with, but they can smell fluctuations in insulin in their person. Like, what? I know, it's crazy. That's, like, magic. Seizures, too. They, like, can tell when their person is about to have a seizure. So, you know, people with epilepsy, so they can tell when they're about to have a seizure, which, again, that's magic. But also, if you have epilepsy and you have a seizure, you need to be able to get somebody's attention so they can get you to the hospital. And so dogs can, like, bark and go find somebody to help you. (gasps) Wow. So they're just, like, your ultimate companion and... All they want is to make sure that their person is safe. And so they have just, like, this incredibly strong bond with their human being. And I just... Oh, my God. And I'm just, like, every time I see a little therapy dog, I'm just like, you have your little job. It's a big job. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah. It's so sweet. It's really nice. (laughs) They're wearing their little vests. Number seven. Dogs know when we're sad. You guys. You guys. So this is kind of more anecdotal than anything, but I was able to find some science. There was a study done where scientists, I can't get over this, they hid behind a door separating Mm -hmm. them from the dogs in the lab. Half of them cried and, like, wept, and the other half of them hummed Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Mm -hmm. So you'd think it's, like, a kind of muffled low noise, Mm -hmm. and the dogs wouldn't be able to tell the difference, Mm -hmm. right? The dogs rushed over to the door three times as fast when the person was crying, and tried to comfort them. Like, they want to comfort us. They know we're sad. And, like, how many times has your dog, when you're in, like, kind of a a low mood, like, just come over and put their little head in your lap? Yeah. Because they know. Because they want you to feel happier. Yeah. Okay. And finally, number eight. They're the most loyal boys in the world. Loyalty. I have a lot of, I have a lot of anecdotes right now, and if you're not ready, if you're not emotionally ready to, to hear, like, heroic dog stories, I get that. I get that. It's I don't like, know if I'm ready. But or it's I like them. I can't watch videos of soldiers coming home from war and seeing their tiny children today. I can't yeah. do that. I'm ready. So this is a story. This is going to start with a story that's kind of sad, okay. but it's just so heroic that it's indicative of this dog's love for his people. And I thought that it just it it doesn't thrill me, but it it fills my heart. Uh-huh. So in August of 2016, in Baltimore, Maryland, Erica Peremsky and her eight-month-old daughter Viviana were caught in a horrible house fire. Erica was outside of the house for a second getting something from her car, and Viviana was on the second floor when the fire started, and so Erica was, like, desperately trying to get back into the house, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, clawing at the windows, like, trying to get in, but she couldn't get in, and she could hear her daughter inside. It just sounds like a nightmare. Oh, my God. I cannot even imagine. So, finally, firefighters make it to Viviana's room, and inside, they find her in her crib, and the family dog named Polo is has his whole body shielding her oh. with his own. And Polo very easily could have escaped the house. Like, he could have, he ha- he could run. Like, he yeah. could get out. He was tiny. He could get out. But even when the fire started encroaching, he stayed with her. Oh. And he passed away. But she lived. <gasps> he saved her. He saved her? He saved her life. Like, I'm crying. Wait, I'm actually emotional <laughs> we're, about that. We're both, like, I heard that story, like, years ago, and it was like, you would think, like, an animal instinct is to yeah, feel is fire to run. Yeah. and run. And he didn't. Like, he stayed with her. That is the most beautiful, like, I just can't deal with that. Like, oh it's just God. so beautiful. Polo. So, Polo is a hero. He is. So a that's all. Dog. So, that one is so sad. I'm fully, I'm fully crying. There are, there are, I, I got, like, a little bit emotional, but Allie's, there's, like, tears. I'm fu- every time I think about that, I just can't deal with it. Because I heard this years ago, but I was just like, I can't deal with it. So, um, this is not a regularly scheduled programming. I'm horrified. So these ones all have happy, fully happy endings. Okay, I mean, good. it's a happy ending that that child lived, obviously. Yes. Um, that's more important, but yeah. it's just such a, it's it's emotional, such a beautiful tale of heroism. Life. Yes. So here's one. All of the next ones are from a BuzzFeed article I found that's just like, look at these good boys. <laughs> um, 11-year-old Austin Foreman was collecting firewood in his backyard when he noticed his dog, Angel, was sticking unusually close to his side. Soon, Austin realized why. When he was attacked by an unseen cougar. <gasps> there was a cougar in his backyard. So Angel, the dog, fearlessly left the cougar to protect his owner. While the dog and the giant cat were fighting, Austin was able to run into the house and told his mom, there's a cougar trying to eat Angel. So she phoned 911, and by the time the authorities arrived, Angel had suffered deep wounds, and his survival seemed uncertain. 
However, Angel stunned everyone by getting up despite his injuries to walk over to Austin and make sure he was okay. Angel was an angel. Thankfully, Angel was okay, too. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank God. I told you, they all have good endings. Oh, I was still nervous. But, like, he was the one that was injured, and yeah. he still was like, is my person okay? Um. Okay, Patricia Drouch um, was in her garden when suddenly she realized her 14-month-old son, Stanley, had disappeared. She searched everywhere and finally found him. He was face up in the pool with his eyes rolled back in his head. Oh, no. So she freaked out, but... Stanley was not alone in the pool. The family dog, Bear, was with him and was standing perfectly still underneath him to keep his head above water. (gasps) Wow! What the fuck? How did dogs know to do that? How does he know? But, so, authorities later confirmed that Stanley had almost drowned and only lived because Bear saved his life. Wow! He knew to hold his head above water. That's crazy. He was standing... Ah! That's crazy. It's amazing! It's It's amazing. amazing! Okay, last one. Kathy Vaughn was heading to Atlanta for an antique show when her car caught on fire. Kathy was paralyzed from the waist down, so evacuating the vehicle quickly and easily was not an option. She began trying to assemble her wheelchair, but the smoke made her disoriented. Luckily, her dog Eve was still sharp and totally fearless, so she dragged her owner out of the vehicle into a nearby ditch. Soon, the entire vehicle went up in flames. Wow. So, Eve's heroism might be 100% stunning for the rest of us, but it didn't surprise her owner. She just loves me. She helps me all the time, Kathy oh, said. So these are just good boys and ladies. They're just amazing. Oh. And, like, I'm just so emotional now. I can't even tell if I'm thrilled. I'm just, like, oh my but God. I am thrilled. I'm I thrilled, thrilled that these for the partnership. sweet angels, like, walk amongst us. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just, I have so much to say. But I need to stop talking for a minute so I don't fully cry. And I thought we could end this dog segment by talking about our dogs. Yeah. Sam, can you tell us about Clo-Clo? Yeah, you guys. Chloe. Oh, I have a really good dog. I'll tweet a picture of her. Yeah. Um, my dog's name is Chloe. Chloe. Um, she's a gorgeous goddess she of the golden retriever. She is gorgeous. She's gorgeously beautiful. She really, and like, I know all pet owners are like, oh, I love my pet, but like. No, she's beautiful. She's gorgeous. Um, she's technically a purebred golden retriever that we got. Um, because my dad's friends with someone who bred golden retrievers. Yeah, but you weren't trying to get a purebred dog. No. They were just like, this is unfortunately a dud, though I don't want to <laughs> call Chloe that. No, it was, yeah, <laughs> she has a really minor heart arrhythmia. So they were going to breed her, and we were just supposed to, like, be taking care of her kind of, like, until she got bred. And then because of her heart arrhythmia, we just got to keep her forever. Yeah, they were like, we For can't free. use her. And you were like, all right, I will keep this beautiful <laughs> I was like, dog. I can use her because she's glamorous. Um, she's the happiest girl in the world. So happy. Um, she... What kind of dog is she? Tell She's a golden retriever. Did you say that already? I don't know, but she's a golden retriever and she's glamorous. And she is really happy. She likes to have her butt scratched. She thinks my boyfriend is her boyfriend, but I'm fine with it. Um, and she's just the best in the world. I love her more than anything. What I love about Chloe is that when we met her, um, (laughs) we would hang out on your couch. Yeah. And Chloe would, like, very slowly, like, get up a little bit on the couch. Yeah. And then just very, very slowly she would end up fully spread across all three of us. Yeah. You, me, and Becky. Yeah, it starts just, like, her little face is on you. And then it's, like, maybe the, her paws also. And then her full. And then her full body. Grown golden retriever body is just fully on top yeah. of you. She's still pretty sure she's, like, a puppy size. Well, you guys held her when she was, um... A little. little. Yeah. And she's yeah. she's just like, I used to sit on your lap. Like, that's where I go. And now you're like, you're a full-grown gold retriever. But, but she loves yes, it. But sure. She doesn't give a fuck. No. And I don't either. Yeah. And I'm seeing her this weekend and I'm hype. I love her more I'm than so anything. Glad. Shout out to Chloe. Baxter, my dog, um, I mentioned him. He is uh, the worst dog. No. But I love him. He's stupid but he's, good. <laughs> he's not smart. So we got Baxter when he was a tiny pup and he's a shih tzu. So he was like six pounds. He looked like a furry potato. Oh. Um, we could barely see his face. He was so furry. He mm-hmm. was just like, you know, tennis ball size. Yeah. Super cute. Um, and he was just so poorly behaved from day one. Like, he never does anything you tell him to. <laughs> he has an attitude problem. Absolutely. He ate so much that he got lipid deposits in his eyes, <laughs> which basically means that his eyes were fat. <laughs> That's medically what that means. So he's a husky boy. What can we say? <laughs> Um, and we put him on a diet, so yeah. he's doing better, but he Good. fucking hates it. Yeah, he does. Every time we eat chicken near him, he's like, can you not? <laughs> it's rude. Um, but yeah, no, he's just got these big saucer eyes that make you, your heart just <laughs> explode with warmth. So you forgive him for, like, peeing in your shoes every yeah. now and again, which he does. I'll always, a, a memory I treasure is yeah. that one time I was staying with you guys, you have, like, a beautiful house on the beach. 
Um, and I was staying with you guys and we left Baxter for just like a couple hours to grab lunch. Yep. And we got back and he had peed in the house and I was like, oh no. Which is what he does, period. And you guys were like, good boy, Baxter, you only peed, you didn't poop. Wow. And you were like giving him a treat. And I was like, he pissed in your house. That's the life we have to lead (laughs) with him. Well, because this is the thing is he doesn't do that in our home, but when we take him out of his environment, he gets so anxious that anytime we leave to do anything, he pees. Yeah, you, you've also referred to protest poops. Yeah, and if he's really pissed off, like, if my mom and dad, like, leave for the day, yeah. he'll take a shit in our house somewhere. <laughs> and it's just, like, just so you know, I'm not a fan of that. And so he takes a shit on, like, our fireplace. Um, but, fuck, I love him. Like, I just, he's so, he's like a little teddy bear. Like, he looks like an Ewok if you sit him up like a person. He does look a lot like an Ewok. Because he's chubby and he's got the fur. He looks like mm-hmm. a tiny Ewok. I just, every time I look at him and... and it just, I see him and how much I love him in every dog. Like, every dog, no matter what type of dog, I look into their little eyes, mm-hmm. and I just see him. Do yeah, you know what I mean? that's beautiful. And I think, I've taken it to a new level, though, because, um, so when Chris, my partner, and I are driving around, he's driving, and I'll look out the window and go, <gasps> and so he, like, jol- like jolts the car and is of like, course. what? Like, he thinks a car is about to hit us, yeah. or, like, somebody ran out in front of the Something road. Something crazy has happened. In fact... I've just seen maybe a corgi pass by, and I'm like, babe, a good boy. And he's like, you can't do that. We're dri- like, I'm driving. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to hurt, like, I'm going to get into an accident if you keep doing that. And I physically can't stop. No, you cannot. Um, I also, I don't know if you do this, Sam. If there's a dog near me, I'll kind of, like, slow my gait down a little mm-hmm. bit. And then, because then if he approaches me a little bit, maybe it's appropriate for me to be like, oh, can I pet? Yeah. Um, that's, I live... My life is just the time I spend between asking strangers to pet their dogs. Like, that is my whole life. Yeah. I just, I can't get enough of it. Yeah. My, um, my boyfriend and I refer to it as being, like, blessed by a dog mm-hmm. if it'll, like, touch its nose to you because it's sniffing you. It has blessed me. It, like, oh, I just got blessed. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, sometimes one of us won't be paying attention and the other one will be like, babe, you got blessed. You didn't even see. One time. We could do this all fucking day. And we will. <laughs> it's our anniversary episode. I was on the tee. Which is a, uh, which is Boston language for saying I was on the train, um, was the MBTA. We should talk about the. We'd love to talk, do a cross episode with in Greater Boston about the MBTA, yeah. um, which is terrible. And we were stalled, and the the train was so full, and so I was holding on to you know one of those poles mm-hmm. that you can hold on to. And there was a lady next to me who was holding her dog. Uh-huh. And she was holding, she was next to me, so she was holding out the pole as well. And so the dog was kind of near me mm-hmm. and looking up at me. And then the dog got tired, and it slowly rested its little head on my arm, which was outstretched holding onto the pole. Yes. And the woman was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, no. Do not be sorry. <laughs> this is the best thing that could possibly happen to me. It was a beautiful moment. It rested on my little arm for, you know, five minutes. Oh. And then I got to my stop, and I was like, can I can I have your phone numbers? So <laughs> and that's so how you met amazing. your partner. Yeah, um, I know. No, I remember that day because you came home in a frenzy and you were I was like, like, I was standing on the train. I couldn't, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> it's like when you see God with your eyes, who do you tell? What do you do after that? And I thank you for sharing it with me. You're welcome. And I, you know, you're welcome to everyone else who's listening. Um, every dog I've met has changed me. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Absolutely. Hey y'all, my name's Alicia. I'm Stacy, And we make Trashy Trashy Divorces. It's a good podcast about bad relationships. Every week we bring you two stories of love gone wrong. And people who really should know better behaving very, very badly. It's a fun way to cut some powerful people down to size. Or take a second look at stories and scandals that defined a time. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or on the web at TrashyDivorces.com. New episodes every Sunday. Subscribe now and never miss a garbage day. Hey, Horror Honeys. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod. Your support means the world to us. And if you're not enjoying the show, why are you still listening? Maybe you do like the show. I mean, as I said before, we could go on. I'm going to stop myself. Yeah. But what I will ask is, we did this a little while ago when we were talking about dogs in some capacity. I I will start a thread on Twitter. Send me your dogs. We're begging you. Send me your dogs. Yes. Tweet at us. 
send me pictures of your dog. Mm -hmm. I'll retweet them. We need that in our lives. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that thrills me. Yes. I mean, there's other stuff, but... But that's pretty much it. That's the purest thrill I get. Yeah. Is seeing a little schmoop. Oh, schmoopy. What do you call your dog? Um, I... Chloe, Chloers, Chlorella, um, schmoop, schmoof. A lot of schmoof, schmoofy. Uh, good girl. Good girl. Iggy-da-boo. That's when I call her. <laughs> that's a, a good one. Sense, but I'm like, is iggy Yeah. We say, um, Bax... Bax man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just say, like, things at him. Like, mm-hmm. he's a boy! <laughs> Which, I think I'm saying, it's a boy. Yeah, I, I always hear you saying, he's a boy. He's a boy! <laughs> like, that is the actual pitch that I use. Yeah. Which is embarrassing, but it's like, that's what I say. Mm-hmm. And my mom and I will say that, like, next to each other. Like, in succession, <laughs> like, 12 times. <laughs> like, insane people. <laughs> like, Absolutely. And we'll say, uh, who's a good boy? Uh-huh. Who's a good boy back there? Baxty. Mm-hmm. What else will we call him? We just, I, you sound like an insane person. You do. You really do. But it's out of love. It's out of love. Um, I want to also know what you call your dog that's not its name. Yeah, tweet that at us. Tweet that at us. Give oh. me your give me your content, you guys. Please. I'd be, I'd be thrilled by that. Let's honestly. make the world brighter. I'm uh. thrilled. Okay. Okay. That was great. I'm so happy. Now, yeah. Sam, um, explain to me... <laughs> What thrills you? I'm ready to get on board. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to get on board. Frankly, it's been years. We're, let's do <laughs> <laughs> I read, um, we read, uh, Fifty Shades together. We did. When we were in college. That was hilarious. That makes it sound like we had a, a affair <laughs> in college, which, you know. It's a code word. That's what their kids are calling we it We got about days. as dangerously inappropriate close as two people can possibly be without being in a romantic relationship. That's and true. remain that way to this day, so... Um, put your put your fanfic pens down, everyone. <laughs> or pick them up. <laughs> I, I I would feel love to if read we get some. to the point of fame where people was were writing queer erotic fanfiction about us, <laughs> I can't even tell you how over the it. moon I would be. I, I would, would be it. ecstatic. I'd read every bit of it. I yeah, me too. Uh, I would request it bound. <laughs> I would bind it. I would bind it myself. I would self-publish that book. We're really encouraging people (laughs) to do this. Um, But, you know, let's do this. Romance novels. I'm excited. I'm excited for anything that makes you excited. Let's do this. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Um, So I just want to give a quick shout out. My runner-up for this episode, because a lot of things thrill me. Yeah. Um, my runner-up was RuPaul's Drag Race, which was suggested to me on Twitter by our dear friend Raina. Yep. Who also suggested I talk about my dog. Yeah. There you go. Which you fully You can't be that mad. So here's the thing about RuPaul's Drag Race, though. Like, I don't have anything fresh to say about it. Yeah. Like, it's a great show. It brings drag queens to the mainstream. You should watch it. That's it. That's we the whole no episode. We have no hot takes. <laughs> yeah. Do you need the opinion of two cis white women you on don't, it? You I don't, don't know need if you that. do. Yeah, I don't you know don't if need you that. Do. Um, oh, one more thought. My favorite is Bianca Del Rio. Okay, that's it. That's all my thoughts. Mandela Creme. Oh, good. good. We move on. We just can move right on. So today I'm going to talk about one of my less mainstream favorite things, which I have mentioned on the podcast in the past, but today I'm really going to peel back the curtain. Uh, (laughs) We're talking about romance novels. Yes. So what makes a romance novel? You tell me. Here's the most basic definition of a romance novel. It contains the following things. Number one, the main focus of the plot is the growing romantic relationship between the two main characters. Fair enough. And number two, it has a happy ending. Oh, that's nice. And that's it. That's all that makes a romance novel. <laughs> is that not most books? <laughs> Amen, right? Um, so obviously there are more tropes that show up in a romance novel. Uh, for example, they are almost always from the perspective of the woman in the relationship. Right. Or it's a shared POV between the two protagonists. Um, and they are all largely, deeply, and truly about female wish fulfillment. That's, like, very central. Wow. Oh, I will remind you guys that we have a sponsorship deal with Adam and Eve. <laughs> yeah, so by that, I obviously mean the sex stuff. Um, but what I also mean is less obvious things. Like, in a romance novel, the protagonist's rent is always paid. And if it's not, a millionaire just fell in love with her. Yeah, that's true. Or, like, the protagonist has her dream job, and she's considered smart and capable by those around her. And if she's not considered smart and capable by those around her, she is about to find a partner that totally accepts and adores everything about her. There's nothing more sexually arousing to me than being valued by my fellow (laughs) colleagues. Yeah, no, for real. That's the real sexy stuff. Like, as much as, like, romance novels are female wish fulfillment and it's, like, 
you know, her quivering, yeah. <laughs> like, whatever. It's like, what? You're going to pay my mortgage? Yeah. It's like, that's, wow. that's the sexy shit is like, I love that you love to read. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> this is hot. This yeah, is some hot I'm shit. I'm hot. Um, romance novels have historically been by and for women. Uh, do you think that has anything to do with the fact they have been mocked and ostracized by the literature community? Yes, nope. of, of course that's Yes, why. yeah. Of course that's the reason. Um, critics, when they criticize romance novels, uh, often point to the lack of suspense, as it is obvious that the hero and the heroine will end up together. And they wonder whether it is beneficial, quote, for women to be whirling away so many hours reading impossibly glamorized love stories. Here's what I have to say to that. Ooh, I see a list. <laughs> I personally have read four out of five of Dan Brown's Robert Langdon series. Let's do this. And those are the ones that, like, the Da Vinci Code movies are based on. Mm-hmm. And here is the plot of all four of the books I have read. <laughs> Robert Langdon is a super smart Harvard art and, quote, symbology professor. There is also at least one scene per book of him swimming laps in the Harvard pool, so we, the reader, know he is hot. Yeah, Tom Hanks does that in the movie, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's one in every book. It's like, I was just swimming laps. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is some kind of crime related to a mysterious symbol, and so the police call in Robert Langdon because he is the only man smart enough to know what it means. Robert Langdon does know what it means. <laughs> And it leads him on a glamorous journey around the world to solve complicated symbol-based clues and catch the criminal. Also on this journey is a beautiful, mysterious woman. Always foreign as well. Yeah, she and Robert Langdon have to team up to solve the mystery. And as they keep finding sim- symbols, they also bone down. Uh, someone they thought was good was actually bad. That's usually like the big twist. Uh, Ewan McGregor as a priest. <laughs> yes. Is a good one. Angels and Demons. Uh, and then what's the the very famous Ian McKellen. I forget in, that one. In uh, Da Vinci Code. Yep. And then the sexy woman in the third one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Robert Langdon is even smarter than the bad guy. He solves the mystery and he gets the girl and she's gone by the beginning of the next book so he can bone someone new. That's every Robert Langdon book. <laughs> Did critics say these books were bad and predictable and an unrealistic standard for men to be holding themselves to? No! No, of course they didn't! Because male wish fulfillment is so normal, people do not bat an eye. And Dan Brown is allowed to publish the same novel five times with no one having anything bad to say about them. And he just gets to swim around in his own pool. (laughs) Thinking about himself. Yes. And you know what? I read them and I found them consistently pretty fun. Although I admit to being burnt out after the fourth one. So why are romance novels described as silly and predictable and female wish fulfillment when we are fine with Dan Brown novels doing exactly that for dudes? Yep. Um, I think the answer to that is an important quote by the philosopher Bird's Right activist. <laughs> quote, I am feel uncomfortable when we are not about me. Yeah. Amen. That's all men. Anyways, there are perfectly valid critics, like, criticisms of romance novels. For example, they have been majority white and majority straight for most of their existence. And there's been a rise of POC romance and queer romance the last few years, but we still have miles to go. Right. Um, Which could be said of most media, but romance novels are totally not, like, this That's what we're talking about right now. Yes. We can criticize them. (laughs) But ultimately, romance novels are fun. I like them because they're like cotton candy for my brain, totally delicious, and done very quickly. Uh, And for me, they remind me of like Agatha Christie novels. Like when I open an Agatha Christie novel. It's like pulpy. Yeah. It's like, here's what's going to happen. There's been a murder. We think we know who the murderer is. We don't. It wasn't them. (laughs) My God, it was a person I didn't think was the murderer. There's a wedding. Like, that's how every Agatha Christie novel yeah, goes. Yeah, it's pretty true. But I've read a lot of them because I enjoy them. They're fun. Um, I do wish they'd go less hard on the covers. <laughs> Disagree. <laughs> novels. Disagree. Uh, but I read most of them with my e-reader, so it's fine. So let's talk about some very famous uh, and notable romance novels. We'll start with what's widely regarded as the first romance novel. Published in 1740... Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded, by Samuel Richardson, tells the story of a maidservant courted by her landowner master. 
Uh, Pamela was not the first novel about a romantic relationship, but it was the first to be presented from the heroine's point of view. Yeah. And the novel's happy ending was also very unique for the time. So basically, like, Pamela gets fucked and still ends out on top. Love it. Which is rare. Doesn't happen in horror movies. No, rarely does this happen. It's the opposite of that. Next up, a big famous, a big famous, a big favorite, Pride and Prejudice. Is that a romance novel? Yes, this vaulted literary classic is a romance novel. I guess you're right. Yeah, so they don't necessarily need to have fucking. Um, I wish there was slightly more. I'll say that. (laughs) But think about the definition I told you earlier. Pride and Prejudice tells the story of how Darcy and Elizabeth get over their pride and prejudice and come together for a happy ending. Wink. Yeah. (laughs) They bone afterwards. But that's textbook romance novel stuff. It is. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And the thing, so I did some research into this because I was like, well, some people would say it's like chick lit. What's the difference between I hate that term. Romance novel and chick lit. Um, and the difference that I found is like chick lit can involve romance, but it's ultimately the story of the woman and like it's her, her journey. journey. Yeah. It's not about the relationship and its journey. So like the example I read was like Bridget Jones's diary would be like chick lit. Sophie Kinsella is classic chick lit. Yeah. Chick lit. Chitlets? Chitlets. <laughs> Wrong. Sophie Kinsella does a Shopaholic series. Yeah. I loved Shopaholic. I love it. I know it. you do. Yes. I read it on planes because I have very severe flight anxiety. Yeah. And they help calm me down because it's like- Mellows you out. One of them's like a lawyer mm-hmm. um, messes up something big on a big case and she freaks out and she gets on a train. She goes out into the countryside and she shows up at a door to use a phone because mm-hmm. this was written in the 90s or something. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you're here to interview for our maid position? <laughs> Which would never happen. Never, ever. But then she's like, I have to be a maid and I've never done laundry. And she falls in love with a gardener. They have sex in a shed. It's got everything. I love that. I just love it. And so that's what, but there is romance, but it's about the woman doing something. Yes. So I think that's like more chiclet, whereas the, if the focus is yeah. the two it would pieces be, coming together. That, that would be like a romance novel if part of it was also about that gardener and how he has to get over his stuff to be in love with her. Exactly. No, like, it was m- it's mostly about the woman. If it's just yeah. about her figuring her stuff out, and then also she gets to bone down. Yeah. That's more But it's like Catcher in the Rye is just a guy walking in circles thinking about his own, you know, penis and insecurities. Yeah, why is that better? Why is that not boil-it? <laughs> yeah. B-O-I-lit. Boil-it. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. But so, um, Pride and Prejudice, very famous, well-respected, a romance novel. Fuck you guys. It's good. <laughs> it's in the genre. Get over it. Um, 19, in 1919, E.M. Hull wrote a novel called The Shake, and that was later adapted into a film starring Rudolph Valentino. And it's one of the first examples of an alpha male hero in a bodice ripper. Now, I used to think a bodice ripper was just like a historical romance because they wear a bodice. Um, and it can be used for that, but it's actually emphasis on the ripping. So, uh, let's talk about some sexual politics. I want it. So, women have been receiving mixed messages when it comes to sex and sexuality forever. Uh, (laughs) Right now it's happening. (laughs) Even now. So, mainly it's that you should not want it, it is bad to want it, but you should be good at it, but don't want it. Which, um, is complicated. I'm confused. (laughs) Aren't we all? And especially if you were born a hundred years ago, wouldn't you have been confused then? Right. Um... So, a bodice ripper is quite literally a man ripping your bodice and just taking you in a way that, like, takes away any guilt or shame because you're just being taken. Yeah. Obviously, we are now in a time when the sexual revolution has happened and we're having really important conversations about consent. So bodice ripping does not read as sexy like it once did because now we're like, whoa, 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 I liked this bodice. Like, why would you do that? I'll bone you if I want to bone you. Yeah, and it's like, if you're feeling that mood, and you put your hands near the clasp, and you say, this is cool, and you're like, yeah, it's cool, rip that bodice. Rip it, absolutely. But, you know, we have conversations about it first. Yes. But for a long time, this trope was the only way women could give themselves an excuse to enjoy sex. Oh, you're right. Like, it's like, well, now that he's taken me, I guess I'll just lay back and enjoy What am I to do? Because he's ripped my bodice. I like that bodice, but what am I... It's on the floor. I better just... It's over. Go for it. Yeah. Um, So I find that really interesting that this thing used to be, like, the sexiest of sexy, and now it's, like, if this was in a modern romance novel, everyone would be like, what the fuck? Admittedly, I still find it pretty sexy, but it's, like, why do I find it sexy? Yeah. 
Well, it's because... What's ingrained in me. Exactly. What kind of guilt is ingrained in you that it feels good for it to be like, I couldn't do anything about it. He just took me. Like, that doesn't happen in real yeah. life. Also, in hindsight, if you, it's the past, you're probably really poor and you have one <laughs> bodice. Yeah. This is true. my one... You better buy me a new bodice. <laughs> but in theory, in most of, like, the wish fulfillment stuff, he's really rich, so... If you're a farmhand, I'm not cool with it. He's like, I'll buy you a hundred bodices. <laughs> And Fine, you're like, oh, Gregory. <laughs> I have a room of bodices, <laughs> all made of the finest silks. So, you're yeah. Like, why do you have that? Um, so I just find, like, the use of these tropes in romance novels for sexual escapism, and then the way our feelings, like, about sex change, and so the feelings about these tropes in these books change. Super interesting, uh, and it really reminds me of the conversation that comes up around the song Baby It's Cold Outside every year. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the same thing, where, like... Nowadays, we're like, this song's gross. But then people are like, well, back in the day, women didn't have sexual agency and they had to be perceived as like putting up a fight or having excuses to bone down. And it's like, but today it's gross. Like, yeah. It's really complicated. And I've still felt, you know, in in little ways, pressure to be like, no, stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not me personally, yeah, but yeah. I, I find that in the social yeah. kind of sphere. Yeah. And it's very sometimes. much like a pressure on, I think, women that they're the ones who have to say stop. Mm-hmm. Like, the man is always going to be the aggressor pushing forward, and it's the woman's duty to be like, no, we're at the line. Yeah. Or even just, like, in little ways, like, in a movie when, you know, two people are feeling sexy, and mm-hmm. the guy's like, Rawr, and she's like, no, we're in public. Mm-hmm. It's like, why is that happening? Yeah. Just be winking at each other, and then go yeah. fucking your Honda. I don't know. Like, yeah. just, you know, be normal. <laughs> yeah. I don't, why is it? It's just so little things like that. And it's never the opposite. Where the woman is like, I'm yeah. so horny. And the guy's like, babe, we're in public. This reminds me of, <laughs> this is a deep cut. There's an episode of New Girl. Uh-huh. Do you guys remember that show New Girl? I remember it. And Natasha really Leone is a ex-girlfriend of one of the guys in that show. Mm-hmm. And she's like wearing a strong pantsuit <laughs> and comes up to him and is like, we're going to have sex at this wedding somewhere. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God, like we're, you know, we're in public. Please just don't do this. And she's like, it's going to happen. <laughs> And I love that. I please tweet at me if you've seen that episode because it's just anytime I see that, I'm like, I love it. I fucking love it. Yeah. That's like um, reverse bodice ripping energy. It's reverse bodice ripping en- energy, and I just, I live for it. Yeah. So. Um, so moving on from The Shake, um, which also had like some troubling racial implications. Again, romance novels have not been great on the POC and mm-hmm. uh, queer front. So, but here is The Price of Salt by Patricia Highsmith, and it was released in 1952 and is considered one of the first lesbian romance novels, uh, mainly because its two heroines don't A, die, or B, go back to their husbands at the end of this novel. Uh, And it's the basis for the movie Carol that came out a few years ago uh, with Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara that was very good. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either, um, but it won a bunch of awards. I would watch it. Yeah. Um, but it's based on this romance novel from the 50s. I love it. And it was a big deal. Like, the the author of it wrote other books that had, like, lesbian subtext. And this was her first book that was, like, lesbian text yeah. about, like, they fuck. Well, Colette so she, had already happened for yeah. a while. Um, but in Colette, bad shit happens. That's true. Bad shit goes down at the end of Colette. That's very true. Um, so Patricia Highsmith ended up publishing this under a false name at first until like the second edition and it was popular and she was like, all right, it was me. (laughs) I'm here. I'm gay. I'm great. Yeah. Uh, and then in 1957, Harlequin, a publishing house, uh, was being led by a husband and wife team named Mary and Richard Bonnycastle. That's not their name. Yes, it was. I love it. And Mary really enjoyed romance novels. So Richard was like, okay, these sell like crazy. And my wife likes them. I'm going to read one. What's the big deal about? And he fucking loved it. So they started Harlequin Romance Novels, which are like what you think of when you think of like... I didn't know that had a name, like that name came from anything. Yeah. So it was just this publishing house that became like so well known for um, its romance novels. Like when you think about Fabio on the cover of a book with like an actual ripped bodice. That's Harlequin. That's often a Harlequin novel. So that kind of brings us into the modern era of romance novels. And um, one of my favorite things about it, and like I said, I read them. I find them very fun. They are done in an afternoon, and it's a blast. Um, but there's a billion subgenres. So, like, you've got historical romance. You've got contemporary romance. You've got paranormal romance. Nothing crazy. But, I mean, there's also, like, cowboy romances, Amish romances, NASCAR what? romances, office romances, fantasy romances, like, where everyone's an orc. 
Like, everything exists. Well, I mean, I would say I'm surprised, but um, I'm not sure if any of our listeners have uh, watched porn. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a whole world out there oh, yeah. <laughs> of just uh, items yes. that you can, if you put in anything, mm-hmm. somebody's done it. With varying quality. Absolutely. So, I remember once you watched, by accident, a Hunger Games porn parody. It was less an accident and more like, all right, let's see what this is. I remember you being sort of lightly traumatized by that. I was, I would say, underwhelmed by, because I felt they weren't doing justice to the plot. I thought it was going to get more into the world. Right, okay. And it was mostly just fucking. (laughs) I weep for you. Which I wasn't interested in. Um, which is why I like romance novels, because there is more plot to it. There's like, more to it, yeah. I need plot to my boning. I just do. Uh, what can I say? So, uh, you were not going to get out of this without some recommendations. Thank God. <laughs> and thank God. So here's a couple of my favorites. Uh, my number one forever, because of the title, When a Scott Ties the Knob. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I bought it because I thought the title was so funny. This is why I think Outlander is being is so popular because so many of them are Scottish. There's for some a lot. Reason. I should grab my nook and just scroll through. There's so many of them are Scottish. I don't know why that is. It's like the Highlander's Bride. Yeah. <laughs> They're all Scottish. They're all Scottish. Yeah. When is God ties the knot? Fucking love it. It's by Tessa Dare, who I love everything she's ever written. Uh, it's a historical romance. It's lit. Uh, it's about a lady and she's like a scientist and her dad wants her to get married. So she makes up a fake fiance who's in the army. Say no more. Say no more. No, it's great. So she's (laughs) writing him letters, but she's just, she's literally addressing them like to army and she makes up like this Scottish guy and they end up, there is a guy with that name and they get mailed to him. (gasps) So then he shows up because he, she has a castle she's inherited and he's like, I need land for my troops now that we're out of the war to like live and prosper And you've been saying we're engaged, so I'm holding you fucking to these letters I've received. I love that. I love that. And guess what? They fall in love. It's great. Uh, Number two, A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole. Uh, And that's a contemporary romance about this very cool um, scientist slash grad student named Naliti. And she was like um, an orphan in New York. But she finds out that her family was actually like nobles in this small African nation. And she was engaged to the prince of that nation when she was a baby. Oh my god. But she has no idea. So he comes to find her and he's like, the best part about this novel is the beginning because she keeps getting emails saying, hi, you are actually a princess of an African nation. And if you can just send me (laughs) proof of your identity, like your social security number, we would love to bring you to our nation. And she's like, all right, fucking spammer. And she deletes emails. Oh my god. And that's a plot device in this book. That's so funny. That's hilarious. So then the prince comes. And guess what? They fall in love. And then um, also there's like a health crisis in the nation that she um, cures because she's a scientist. So, I love that. I know. It's very good. Uh, another one is called The Deal by L. Kennedy. And it's a college romance where like one girl, she's like very studious. And then there's like this sexy hockey player in her class. And he's like, you're the only person who passed the midterm. And like, I have to pass the midterm. Like, will you please just tutor me and then it turns out like she has a crush on another guy so he's like i'll pretend to date you if you tutor me they fall in love of course they do there's like finals there's like she has a really good group of friends that she's like oh my god like we're just fake dating and the friends are like fuck him uh i love what i would say to you it's huge energy uh for me um i don't know if kevin kwan considers crazy rich asians a romance novel but i would (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna draw our line in the sand right now especially the first one because it's all about their relationship working out yeah so it's very good watch the movie i just watched the movie when i went to seattle yeah the books are really good too all three books are very good uh and finally love and other scandals by caroline linden is one of the first i read it's very good and it's got a really fun reoccurring bit it's a historical one but in the world of it there's like a pamphlet called 50 Ways to Sin that is being circulated amongst the ladies that they have to, like, hide from their moms. Um, and it's basically riffing on Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, but so they're all, like, reading it, and then, like, they all, like, go to a dude, and they're like, is this true? And he's like, yeah, I'll go down on you. And that's the whole book. Uh, it's great. I love it. So that's romance novels. Like, are they unimpeachable, complicated literature? No. Of course not. Of course Nobody's they asking them to be that. Yeah, they're also like nothing shameful. They're not stupid. I love them and I'm thrilled. I love that. Thank you. I am I the thing you said about ma- like male wish fulfillment being just 
totally the baseline of, like, and, like, my wheels just started turning. I'm like, yeah, everything, anything male and positive is, like, our neutral. Yeah. And so then anything, you know, like... Like, strong female characters. Like, have you ever heard anyone refer to a strong male character? Exactly. Cause no. It's just Because they're default. always strong. And you never hear, like, well, this male character was unrealistically perfect. That's never something you hear. Yeah. But they're always, like, billionaires yeah. with 17 cars and a six-pack. And the smartest man in the world. Yeah. Like, and never he... gets troubled by anything. Yeah. yeah. I just, I can't. I can't. So, so You're it's like, so right. You're when a woman, so right. When these books are like, wow, this woman has found a man who accepts her as she is, and also she's good at her job, and critics are like, these are unrealistic. It's like, oh, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Do you, you want to talk about Jason Bourne for yeah. a minute? <laughs> Can you relax? You're so right. So I'm, I'm hooked. I'm, Thank you. I'm loving it. Maybe the next time you're nervous on a plane. I'll read that instead. You can pull out When a Scott Ties the Knot. Yeah. Um, or the sequel in that series, Say Yes to the Marquess. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once we were at a beach and I, um, I left my book at, in the car or yeah. something. And you were swimming, and you were like, oh, well, you can read something in my Kindle. And then, like, the next 45 minutes, I was just like, I need to know <laughs> what happens. And I will admit, the first time, I was just like, I was just flipping to a sex scene. I was just like, I yeah. just want to read a sex scene. That's that's the first thing I did what the first time. But I then after the sex scene, I was like, well, what's going to happen now? What's happening And you them? keep reading it. Yeah. And I remember I hadn't read it yet. Like, the one you happened to pick was just one I hadn't read on my, on my like, e-reader. And I came out of the ocean, and you were like, he's blind. And I was like, <laughs> what? And you were like, they, they just revealed it. He's blind. It took chapters. It did. It was a, it was a reveal after a few chapters that the hero in this book was blind. And he was, there were in Scotland. <laughs> I loved it. It was great. So, um. So don't feel bad about the things you like. Yes. 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 You're allowed to feel great about dogs, I think, everywhere. Absolutely. But you're, you're so right. Nothing, don't allow anyone to keep you from being thrilled about something. Yeah. And if you want to scare your boyfriend by gasping every time you see a dog, <laughs> do that too. That's your legal right. <laughs> I don't give a shit. And now, Allie, I have something for you. I'm furious about this because <laughs> I saw you had a card on the table. And as everyone will remember, you got me a card for, um, what was it? The Christmas episode. For the, our Christmas episode. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm such a dick. I didn't get you anything. And now here we are. <laughs> our anniversary. It's our anniversary. And I was saying to you before, like, I'm so clearly the husband <laughs> of this of this duo. Like, I'm just like the shitty, like, on my recliner, like, oh, yeah, what's for dinner? And you're doing all the emotional work <laughs> for our relationship. No. But, oh, my God, this is so sweet. Please read this card I got for you. Oh, so it says my name on it with a little heart above the I and Allison. Again, it says, for my wife, but that's crossed out and says co-host. From the very beginning, everything in my heart told me she's the one. Um, the podcast won't ever feel right without her. It says life would never feel right without her, but the podcast would never feel right without her. I'm glad I listened to my heart, and I'm lucky having you to love. And instead of love, she said, having you to host a podcast with. Happy anniversary, love, Sam. I love it. It's the way I feel about you. I love it. I thank you so much. <laughs> I promise I'll get you a card for the next thing we do. Um, we all know Sam's better than me. That's been made very clear. That's not true, but I do love cards. Oh, uh, you love cards. Um, but oh uh, my god, I feel awesome. I feel really good. I feel great. Why don't we always do this? Why did we start that <laughs> Why other podcast? We, we have this whole, you know, brand now around uh, this terrible thing we've created. Oh man. And soon we have to go back to the darkness for a whole year. Oh god. So you know, we'll see you in a year. Yeah, we'll do another fun for our second anniversary, but maybe. We hope for this whole next year you stay thrilled stay thrilled